How do you tell when we start, anyway? Because we say hi. <laughs> oh, hi. <laughs> well, we got that out of the way. Let's go. All right. Welcome to Tit Radio, episode 16. I'm Monster B, and at the table tonight is Azmuth. Uh, good evening, Monster B, and uh, the round table. J-Man. Hello. Klaatu. Hi, everyone. And 330. Hello. Our Fedora ambassador. It, that's the rumor on the street. Is that true? It is absolutely true. And they what is that? Fedora. Did you used to hate Fedora? I did. I was a, a big-time Fedora hater, but have since changed my ways. What, what changed your ways? It seemed like, okay, we went to Ohio Linux Fest, and then just a couple hours later, you were like totally into Fedora. What happened? Well, I was already pretty upset with some of the other major distros, their kind of lackadaisical view of software freedom. And I was in that talk where uh, Tom Callaway was talking about uh, licensing from a hacker's point of view, and he was talking about the way that Fedora tracks licenses. And you know, they have a, an entire mailing list devoted to, hey, does this work in Fedora? And people explaining, no, you can't incorporate that because of this, this, and this parts of these licenses. Wow. And I was like, you know, somebody's got a database of licenses. I mean, they're, you know, they're pretty serious because, you know, that's kind of a pain to build. And they were tracking 20-some variants of the BSD license itself. Or no, it's the MIT license, I'm sorry. And I, was, I didn't even know there were 20 variants of it, so I figured it was probably the place to go. Why isn't a Fedora on that list, you know, for the free GNU Linux distributions like they have on the you know, on the GNU.org site? I think it's because the Fedora project doesn't call itself Fedora GNU slash Linux. No, I thought it was because of their kernel. Like, isn't don't you have to have, like, the, the uh, that weird sort of, like, stripped kernel in order to qualify for that, where there's no binary blobs in the kernel or microcode or something? Is that what I was hearing at one point? It may have been true at one point. I'm not exactly sure. Um, because I know uh, GNUsense, they have the the Debian Lenny style of, hey, if you point us to the non-free stuff, we'll pull it out. But otherwise, yeah. Yeah, they pull it out when they find it. Okay. And it, from everything that I know, it seems that Fedora is actually you know, seeking it out before Quite actively, yeah. Release. Yeah, no, that means they were going through, I think it was before Fedora 10, possibly 11, they'd gone through, like, a lot of their code, and just, like, I forget if they were, like, I don't know, it was, um, what what's the term, like, a review, or, like, a, uh, a inventory, or, like, an audit, they did a code audit, and I thought they had, they had gotten rid of, you know, quite a few things, actually, but I don't know. Well, does Fedora have Mono in their, uh, uh GNU, uh, or their uh, GNOME uh, desktop? For 11, they didn't. They didn't for 12 either, did they? I don't know. I'm not running 12. <laughs> so I'm I can't pretty, check they, that. As far as I know, they've not gone to mono. I mean, I don't really run the GNOME version, so I wouldn't swear to it, but I'm... No, actually, you know what? No, it's on their it's on their blacklist. You know, they're, they're like, will not be allowed in Fedora. So yeah. it, is, it is not. I mean, Fedora... It seems to be pretty serious about making sure that everything is distributable. Because you know how uh, the Ubuntu's and Debian's and all those 
they have the, the third-party repositories that you can just go in and enable. For Fedora, you have to actually go out and seek these repositories. Like, they won't even link to them in the distribution. So, like, they, they have, like, a total hands-off approach to it. They're like, you can do it if you want. You know, they're not going to stop anyone from, you know, having free will, so to speak. But they will just kind of wash their hands of it and go on. Yeah, that, that's one of uh, GNU's issues with distributions. If you make it easy for someone to access that stuff, even if it's not enabled by default, uh, they they have problems with that. I, I kind of like the way Fedora does it. I mean, then again, a lot of people love the way Ubuntu does it because, I mean, it is just so easy. And, and there's a place, I guess, for both. Yeah. Well, saying Fedora, it's just, you know, if you go to the RPM Fusion site, you can copy one string yeah, and paste it into a terminal, and pow, it's there. Yeah, but but you say that, and I say that. I mean, but, but not everyone says that. Yeah, I mean, I've I've heard. I think it was it was someone I was listening to the other day on a podcast. They're like, I still can't figure out how to get DVDs to play in Fedora, and I was like, um, you install libdvd CSS, and you know, I mean, yeah. it's like not that hard. But and this is a podcaster who I figured, you know. Kind of knew what they were doing. Yeah, but, but apparently See, and that's not, the thing so. with the, the DVD thing is that's even in another repository because RPM Fusion wouldn't even touch that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. They're like, right. you know, everything that. else is, you know, is questionable. You know, we can argue whether it's legal yeah. or not. Yeah. Like, they were like, we can't even argue that one. Yeah, I remember that, actually. You're right. And if you right. enable that repository... LibDVD CSS is the only thing that's in it. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> nothing else. That. Yeah, that's right, yeah. But, you know, I mean, and, but isn't that an argument against the other distributions, too? I mean, if you grew grew up, I mean, if you cut your Linux piece on, like, one of these distributions where it says, okay, you've got it installed, now we're going to sit here and install all these extra packages for you that we couldn't legally distribute, but, you know, we got this little shell script or whatever set to you know, run on the first boot, and we're going to install the DVD CSS and blah, 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 MP3 support, uh, you know, proprietary video drivers. I mean, where is the user? I mean, like, what has the user learned from that? Like, nothing, you know? So then you go on to a Fedora system or Blackboard system or, or Arch or, or whatever, and it doesn't do all that stuff for you automatically, and you're an idiot, you know? You're like, oh, I don't know how to get DVD support. I would, you don't even know where to begin, you know, because you never had to think about that before. Say, actually, that happened to me. I couldn't figure out how to get DVDs to play. I think, it, I mean, it's probably happened to everyone who... I mean, it happened to me, you know. I mean, you have to figure it out at some point in your life, but once you do, you're like, cool, I got it, and now I know more about Linux and, and how to do things. And, you know, you just learn whatever you learn from it. But if you don't ever have that experience, then you just never learn that little trick. I guess some people don't want to ever learn certain tricks, but I don't know. I think it's a good thing to, to have down in your repertoire. Yeah. And the sad thing is, is lib. DVD CSS is actually completely free software. You know, it's just like lame. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's free like, software, but it's yeah. it's not legal. Right. Well, yeah. I guess some people say it's not legal. Well, it violates the anti-circumvention part of the DMCA. Yeah. Okay. I guess I mean I don't really believe in the whole legal illegal <laughs> thing, but I see what yeah. you're saying. Yeah. Oh, neither do I. I illegal. love it, but <laughs> <laughs> well, there's one Fedora reloaded. Uh, episode that I'm not going to be able to record now. We'll just cut that out. <laughs> well, let's um, skip the feedback for a second and go on to Azimuth's story or topic. 
because he might have to take off early. Oh, okay. Well, mine's kind of a a, a rerun. <laughs> I uh, well, I gave gave uh, a, a a simple server setup, you know, using alias and and everything here uh, a couple episodes ago, and I, I found myself using it so much that I decided, well, I'll just uh, I'll just put that in uh, permanent, you know, into the because it, it it's a complicated enough uh, for an old man to to remember everything you got to put in, and I'd have to go look up a file and paste it, and uh, you know that's a pain. But uh, in, in the process of finding that, uh, yeah, I could put it in Bash RC, and uh, or uh, if if your Bash RC uh, happens to check for a does a check for a a file uh, which is uh, Bash dash uh, aliases. You can put it in there, but in my research for it, I find that uh, just about everybody recommends uh, changing aliases like that. They say it's just better to to do a a, a script, uh, you know, a bash script. So uh, I turned around and uh, and started reworking it, and uh, so I I did do the bash script. I've got it. Uh, well, I don't have it in the show notes, but uh, let's see. I'll, I'll I've got it in a paste bin right there. I'll put it in the in IRC. It, it's a simple one-line bash script. And, of course, you know, well, then most of my bash scripts uh, are set around in my uh, home directory. Uh, you know, they're, they're kind of, you know, cluttered up all in the corners and everything. But this is one that I just can't run from the home directory because i got to run the stupid thing from, uh, from wherever I'm going to, uh, whatever uh, folder I want I want to share. So uh, I ended up, uh, you know, ma- making the bash script uh, and putting it in uh, USR local uh, uh, S bin, which is uh, in my path, so it would always go look for it. And all you got to do is you throw it in there and uh, make it executable, and uh, you've you've got a command uh, fr- from you know from whatever directory you're in. You just tell it uh, web share, and then uh, you can help uh, use up Peter 64's bandwidth. That was my fault, by the way. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, you tell Peter sixty four you, you got good stuff that he likes, and uh, boy, he, he'll just he, he'll burn up everything between here and Australia to get it. <laughs> what kind of stuff does Peter sixty four like exactly? What are we talking about here? Oh. Well, yeah, a lot of woodworking uh, shows and uh, and stuff that uh, that he can't get. Ladies riding um, around on lawnmowers and golf courses. <laughs> well, I may be responsible for the sprinklers, for all I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, that 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 that's just what I wanted to go to. You know, uh, all, all the recommendations that I was getting in my research would uh, not not make a permanent alias, even though uh, there are ways of doing it, and they're they're fairly simple, but uh, the, that it is better to just just make a bash command, and uh, and then it's there, and it's it's simple. You put it, uh, you know, you can just throw the thing on any machine you have, and uh, yeah, that simple server works really nice on the land because it, uh, you don't have to set up FTP, uh, FTP server, or you don't, don't need an uh, uh, or, you know anything from from any machine? You just put the stupid thing in there, and and then 
you can make that uh, directory available to everybody just on the LAN, all the computers, or or if you open up a port in your firewall, you can make it available to your friends on the Internet. And it just, well, you know, I run it in, uh, in its own little uh, terminal window, and uh, you, you get feedback of what's going on in it, uh, as well as uh, when you're, when you're through with it and don't want to serve it anymore, you just hit Control C and it's all over with, and uh, your uh, system set back, got locked up tight, and uh, you're not feeding things to the internet that uh, you maybe don't want to. That's pretty cool. Make it even like easier. I said, it was re visit. Well, I hope all that turned out because I, I had a hard time hearing you, as I I don't know if it was my my connection uh, or yours. It was. His, I, I heard it as well. But, but I, I mean, oh, it was my band. That. Yeah, mostly just there at the, towards the end. Well, rather go over it all again, the the script be in the show notes, and uh, if anybody wants it, uh, they're welcome to it. Uh, the original how-to on for this thing came from uh, from Foscas. Uh, he mentioned it uh, on uh, one of his uh, screencasts. Uh, you know how how to use this Python command, and it's uh, I just made a bash script out of it. Is all very nice. Anything else before we move on to the uh, feedback? No, that's it. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we got some feedback, huh, Klaatu? Yes, we got um, well two feedbacks, but one of which I'm stealing for the code, my code of the week, so or command of the week. Um, but one was from uh, a listener who says that he said he says I think you guys did get something wrong when you said that before the Ubuntu forums came along, most of the answers people got from Linux geeks were RTFM. I thought I should correct you on that little misconception. In the late 90s, I was a member of the SUS users mailing list pre Novell, and I can assure you that I have yet to see any source on the internet that can compare with that group. The list generated 300 to 400 emails per 24 hours, MUT, post, fix, and fetch mail to ultimate power tools. And there was never a day I didn't learn something new. I can't remember a single instance when someone got a brush off. There was an equal mix of noobs and power users on the list, and they all got along really well. The quality of answers was much higher than most of the answers on the forums today. Well, that's my two cents worth. And then he says, Peter, did you ever think about getting a GPS for the mower? What wit he has. Who sent that in? That's from Rod. I, I thought it sounded a little bit suspicious that the Ubuntu forums came along and, and made Linux more, you know, completely different and friendly. I, I, I can't imagine people would have gotten into it much at all if, if there was never any help out there. Yeah, I think the whole RTFM thing was uh, over, over-exaggerated there. Yeah. I did support for at least two years straight in Slackware on Freenode, and it, it takes uh, uh, the type of person that comes to the IRC and asks the question without doing any kind of research to get yeah. that kind of reply, usually. Yeah. yeah, I mean, in my limited experience, RTFM has often been used more like, look, learn enough to be able to ask an intelligent question and then come back, you know? Which is fair, because if you don't even know what you're asking, then you're, you're probably asking a question that's too far ahead of yourself, you know? 
you need to back up and kind of like do a little bit of research. And I like to think that I did that before I went in someplace and asked questions. Yeah, it's a lot easier just to do your own search real quick and not look like a fool. Yeah, I mean, even before the magical days of Google, I mean, just a little bit of research, you could you could get far along on, on some technical issue before you go in someplace and start asking questions. Yeah, and as um, I can't say the, the name, Jay Shkowal, Jay Shkowal in IRC is saying, um, you know, a lot of times it's just a, a question of doing a dash dash help or something, you know, or just man, you know, foobar, and just kind of just doing that much research and not even going onto the internet. Actually read the manual. Is that all the feedback? Yeah, that's all the feedback. Like I said, we did get one more, but I'm going to just swipe that for myself when we go to the code of the, the command of the week. And it, and there's two from Sigflup, though, right? Or just the one? Well, you know what? There. Oh, yeah, there were two, weren't there? Yes. No? Hold on. I don't have it in front of me, but I'm pretty sure Sigflup said that, uh, referring to me because I said it took 20 hours to compile a full working That's desktop. Right, yeah. That's right, yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, you can use binaries instead of instead of yeah, doing it from compiling like KDE. Right, and I think sure. that's what like PCBSD does. Yeah, it does. It, you know, that's yeah. how I got it up and running so quickly. I think I just used the binary. It's good to have choices. You can never well, have too many choices. You really can't, in spite of what some people say. But um, the 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 source code. Um, did you do that because you wanted like the most recent version of KDE, or did you do it simply because you wanted to compile from source, or, or what? And like, is there? I mean, obviously, there's an advantage to doing it, but was there some advantage that you just couldn't sacrifice to go to the binary? Well, the only reason I did because it was a newer version in the port system. Okay. Yeah. But but after a while, I think that the uh, binaries will catch up to the right, port sure. system. But but with PCBSD working on theirs, they're going to have the latest one in binary. So as soon as they release PCBSD number 8, it'll probably all be up to date. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, they put a lot of work into their little PBIs or whatever they are there. It's pretty cool. It's pretty nice. And while we're on the topic of FreeBSD, one news site that I check all the time is freebsdnews.net, and they reported that... uh, that BSD magazine yeah. is going completely free now. They're going to be an online magazine only. Oh, okay. So they're no longer going to have the print version. That's too bad. I mean, in a way. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's good, but it's also, I don't know, sometimes having the magazine is kind of nice. It is ha- nice having a magazine, but I, I still think the tech magazines are dead. I mean, if I you ever need anything... What's that? I think magazines are dead. It just takes too long to print. And they're so outdated. By the time you get them, I mean, everything's so old and outdated. You know, I don't I don't really find that to be a problem, though. I still learn quite a bit from, from like, tech magazines. I mean, and I get it. I, I have it pretty bad because, I mean, I, I like to get Linux format, and they're a, a month behind in the States. Like, we get we get the issue a month after they come out in the U.K. for some reason. At least when I mean I don't subscribe, I buy it off the newsstand. But even so, I mean I, I I learn quite a bit just because a lot of what they're talking about is either still applicable or the concepts are still applicable. But I imagine BSD magazine. I mean that's a 
probably a pretty niche market, so probably makes a lot of sense for them to go online only. I'll just get it, you know, on the PDF now. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'll throw it on my Nokia and I'll still have it, so I guess it's not so terrible, but I don't know, I like getting the magazine with the disc. That's just like a little thing I have. I just like going to the newsstand and buying the magazine and getting the DVD with whatever, you know, whether it's just the OS or a whole bunch of extras or whatever, and just checking it out. Looks like their site isn't even up yet, huh? BSDmagazine.com, is that what it's going to be? Uh, it should be BSDmag.org. Oh, okay. Yeah, and the only thing you have to do is is just sign up for their newsletter, and they email you a link. Oh, cool. So you can download the PDFs. Oh, okay. This, I, I didn't know that this was by the same... Uh, I think this is the same company who do who does... Yeah, it is, Hacken 9 and uh, Linux uh, Plus. Yeah. Because I know Linux Plus is now going, I think... Lit. They're doing part print and part online. Like every other month, they're going to be online or something like that. What do you have for us tonight, Klaatu? Well, it's not uh, so much as what I have as it is um, so much as what I'm going to challenge everyone to do. The uh, I was I was listening to um, Tux Radar podcast the other day, and they I think they had all switched to like KDE for a week or something. This was an old episode. But I got to thinking um, about, you know, different window managers and kind of how lost some people are when they when they switch to a different GUI. And I thought it might be kind of interesting for each of us um, to, and this doesn't exclude Peter64, even though he tried to ditch us today. Um, but we, we ought to maybe for the next, like, two weeks until the next show, maybe, um, we should just drastically change what window man or what desktop environment uh, we are using. So something a lot more drastic than like me, you know, trying GNOME for a week. I mean, big deal, you know. We should do something, I don't know, something that we're not really familiar with at all, if possible, if anyone else wants to try this. Yeah, it sounds I was interesting. Trying, like, yeah, I mean, I was going to try like Rat Poison maybe, because I want to, I've been meaning to try it, and I figure that could be a good thing to try out. I'm game. There, I mean, I was looking into um, into you know possible desktop environments, and there are actually a lot more than even I realized. I mean, you hear you, and you think about the big ones like Fluxbox, LXDE, and XFCE, KDE, GNOME, and maybe WindowMaker. But there's actually like a whole lot out there. You have like hey guys, a lot pardon me for interrupting, but I yeah. got to take off. Okay. Uh, you guys have a good show, and I'll uh, I'll catch the Augcast. Cool. All right. See you later. You've got like some links to uh, different ones on MonsterB.org, don't you, MonsterB? Yeah, I, it's not updated. Some of them are are like old projects, but I'll, I'm going to put like a new list in the show notes. Okay. Cool. I mean, there's probably like 30, 40 window managers, and I think like 10 desktop environments that are all active projects. Cool. So they give yeah, us something to choose from. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot out there. I mean, it was kind of surprising to me when I... And other podcasts have done this, too. I think Lug Radio used to do this. But they would they would all, you know, change to, you know, this other environment that they're not used to. And then they'd come back on the show and, like, talk about how horrible it was and how confusing it was. And I was just like, my gosh, they sound like noobs, you know? It's like, okay, you change your GUI, but certainly you're not entirely lost, are you? And it seems like... It almost underscored the weakness of the idea of a GUI, you know, because it's like, I mean, you you get 
fairly intelligent people switching just sort of the look and the feel or the you know the user interface of a system and suddenly they turn into idiots so I think it's probably not a bad idea to kind of like try out a different one and kind of get used to adapting to your environment you know I mean I don't ever want to sit in front of a Linux box and just because it's running I don't know XFCE instead of KDE uh, just look like an idiot you know so you're going to try the red poison I'm thinking about it yeah I mean there, there are like I say there are actually a lot more than I kind of realized so I might um, I might try something else but I, I'm, I'm thinking rat poison because I've been meaning to, to try that for a long time I downloaded it today it's like 438 kilobytes or something you know it's like a tiny download yeah I'm all for it we'll talk about it in a couple weeks yeah and and not like the Linux Cranks coding challenge either. Well, that's still going on. That was just extended a little bit. <laughs> right. <laughs> extended like by ten years. Oh yeah. Which some some of us need more time. <laughs> yeah. Well, this isn't going to get extended ten years. To, to warn everyone. Yeah. And if you don't do it and and you can't prove that you switched for a week or two, you get kicked off the show permanently. Band. Should we do like a daily screenshot yes, for uh, Unix porn? Yes. yes, you have to do daily screenshots to Unix porn to record, you know, to show your progress or lack thereof. How about just two screenshots? Daily seems right. like a lot. 330 has to do daily. You you can do two because I, I trust <laughs> you a little bit more. <laughs> I see how it is. <laughs> and no virtual box things either. I want you doing your actual work in this environment. How can we prove? There's got to be something we have to put on the screen to prove that we're we're doing it. Uh, do a um, uh, an LSPCI. How would that prove anything? <laughs> exactly. Because <laughs> if it's in virtual box, won't it read um, like whatever like virtual PC it is? Uh, okay. How about you do that and a screenshot of uh, your browser showing like Tit Radio website, titradio.info. Why would that prove anything? Well, because how many screenshots are you going to find out there with Tit Radio? Ah, I see what you're saying. You're trying to get... Okay, yeah, that's fair. You could still cheat the other way around. You, you could make the new window manager your working environment and then run VirtualBox on top of that with your usual working environment. <laughs> oh. You know, if you're going through that much trouble... To <laughs> <laughs> so, Is there a desktop environment you have not tried, Jay Lindsay? Uh, yeah, yeah. As I look at the list, yeah, there are uh, quite a few that I haven't okay. messed with. Oh uh, yeah, Cobra Cobra Two is saying we could do like a piece uh, a PS uh, U dash capital C capital X to show all the um, all the processes the process time of X. Yeah, there are ways to prove this. It's like nobody trusts anybody around here. <laughs> I know it's kind of sad, isn't it? So what's three thirty going to try? I was thinking about trying GNU step. I thought that was yeah, just a... Uh, it's a neat one. Is that, is yeah, that GNU a... Step. I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, well, I was gonna, you're going to say the same thing. GNU Step is just a set of like libraries and everything, I think. Ah. Window Maker is the actual name of the uh, the environment, I guess. Well, I guess I will be going to monsterbee.org to find some more. Yeah, just try w- Window Maker. It's, it's, uh, you should be able to find it pretty easily. In that was in your list of ones that weren't allowed, sir. No, it wasn't. Oh, was it? Yeah, it was the very last one you said. Well, if you've never tried it, then you should try it. I retract my list. I don't know. 
I will dig through this list, and by tomorrow, I will be running something totally off the wall. All right. And people can go look at my blog, because I'll start a, a two-weeks-with daily blog thing with screenshots. Nice. I was thinking about Ice Window Manager. Yeah, you know, I was kind of thinking of uh, FVWM, because Dave is always, like, uh, raving about it. Dave Yates is always raving about it, but I don't know. Well, I'll let you I know in a couple weeks. Yeah, ice is supposed to be pretty nice from what I've heard. Well, you got a story for us, uh, J-Man? Yeah, I've been uh, playing with something called Enna, which is yet another uh, open-source media center. And on the second, they did a their first public stable release, which is 040. And this thing is built on a large chunk of the Enlightenment libraries. Ooh, interesting. Uh, they have packages out for uh, Karmic, but if you if you do the compile, this is not a very pleasant compile. I'll just say that up front. <laughs> uh, when you when you do the uh, Enlightenment libraries, uh, the the ones in the Fedora repo were not new enough that I could compile this thing. Uh, so basically, you're going to have to pull the SVN of the Enlightenment tree and then compile them that way. Wow. Do you have a um, link so I have something to look at while you talk? Yeah. You can paste in a random link to just any web page. You just want something to look at. <laughs> <laughs> this is why no one trusts anyone. <laughs> wow, this looks nice, though. But, yeah, uh, it's, it's pretty. They, they keep it lightweight using all the Enlightenment libraries. Uh... You know, Enlightenment has all this, uh, they may have their own scripting language that's like C, and just uh, things like alpha blending and anti-alias text. So they build on all these libraries, and uh, they've come up with a, a pretty nice interface. It's, it's still still buggy because, uh, you know, it's early. I managed to uh, get it to hang on some images. I'm not sure what the problem is there. Oh, this is really nice. But uh, it stores the metadata in the uh, in a SQLite that they run. So uh, once your media is accessed, it'll it'll get the uh, little images it shows that says uh, DivX or whatever uh, Dolby surround sound or whatever that is. No, what distro did you install it on? Uh, I I did the build on my Fedora laptop. Do you think it'd be easier on Ubuntu? Uh, they actually have packages for Ubuntu. Uh, I assume that the Enlightenment libraries are up to date, maybe. <laughs> so maybe it wouldn't be that much trouble. Yeah, I'm just looking at their website, and they're showing Ubuntu repo you can add to your source list. Yeah, well, Ubuntu has all those PPAs and everything, so I'd be surprised if you had a lot of trouble getting it going. They they mentioned that one of the one of the features uh, is done as a, a configuration that you can configure in a within the program but I couldn't get that turned on and in the configuration section of the screenshots they didn't actually take a screenshot of that so I assume it's not in there yet for the stable release because that would be pretty important to take a picture of right yeah <laughs> so the the configuration file is uh it's really straightforward I mean when you look at it you'll understand where to put your media paths and how to change the city for the weather and all that. Like when you play a video, what is it? What is it used for the player? Is it their own custom player? 
Yeah, it's uh, built in there. Uh, they use a lib player uh, for the back end. It's one of their own libraries. Yeah, it looks really nice. Yeah, they don't have everything in yet. Uh, if you look at the features page, uh, you know they're going to add the uh, podcast support and uh, TV to pull from your DVR. It's an interesting project to, to keep track of. Have you tried playing any games or anything with this? Uh, well, the games aren't in the stable version yet. Oh, you can't use like any like different games on your like if you had an Ubuntu install, you couldn't pull like a card game or something. No, that that support isn't even in the interface. Oh, okay. Yeah, too bad Peter wasn't here. He would have liked this. Yeah, this is definitely something he'll be interested in. Uh, Jay Lindsay, have you have you had any experience like with either what was that other one? You know, Eliza or whatever that one was called that that Peter sixty four was talking about or XBMC um, compared to this? Like, is this noticeably faster or is it just more of the same but different? I couldn't tell you. I really don't have the uh, the experience there. Okay. Let's move on to 3.30. I've been playing with this thing all week, and let me get a nice link for the IRC. One of the GNU generation projects is a thing called tinyog.com, and um, what it is is a a flash video converter that converts to... Og Theora, and then allows you to play it using the HTML5 video tags. It, it's uh, written by a guy called Osama Kalad, and um, it's uh, it's really straightforward. You you take your it only supports YouTube right now. He says it's really easy to add other other streaming sites, but no one has done it yet, and he's he's asking for help. So that anybody that's interested should. Go to tinyog.com and look in the fact and see how to contribute. But um, it only holds the videos for 48 hours because he figured that people are going to convert them and either watch them once or download them because there's a download link. And yeah, you know, there was no sense in holding absolutely every video that everyone had ever wanted to see for you know ever for the most part. But um, it's all. Uh, AGPL version 3 um, all the text on the site that isn't you know, someone else's stuff is a uh, Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 3.0 license it's it's actually really cool it, it takes a little bit of time to convert the video but I mean this is a totally doable way to not have Flash yeah this is pretty neat I mean it won't, it won't actually load for me right now <laughs> But it sounds neat. And one of the cool uh, things it has is you can queue videos. So like instead of just opening a whole bunch of tabs and doing the same thing over and over and over, you can just queue them and it'll show up when they're done. Nice. So the input file necessarily has to be a flash file? Well, what you do is you you just take the, the link from YouTube. Ah, uh, Okay. Like if someone sent you like a, a link, they're like, "Ha look at this stupid video!" Right. And they, you know, they slap a YouTube link in there, and you're like, "Crap!" You just take that and dump it in here, and it'll it'll take, you know, it'll save the the file from YouTube, convert it to Theora, and then present it to you. Very nice. 
Yeah. I mean, and this isn't the first piece of software to do it, but it's the, the first that I know of that's completely free software. Now, is it the first one like this that you know of? Like, I mean, I mean, this seems like oh, a very sort of turnkey solution. You know, you just you get the link, you paste it here, you get to watch it. And it's pretty There's easy. a lot of video convert, you know, YouTube video converters. Oh, okay. I didn't but, know about these. Yeah, but you know they they output to MPEG four or you know AVIs or something like that. This is the first one that I've seen that's a turnkey AUG converter, and none of the other ones would let you watch it on the site. You had to download it then. Well, yeah, no, I think that's the real selling point right there. That's what it seems. That seems to me like really really convenient. Because I mean, do I, that's one reason I don't watch a lot of YouTube that people do send me is because I just don't want to bother downloading the stupid thing, converting it, watching it, and then deleting both, you know, or whatever. Yeah, just I mean, it all just, you know. But actually, I don't actually convert. I just don't want to bother downloading because the in-player should, I think, plays FLDs. Yeah, but in-player will. Yeah, but I just but yeah, this, And I mean, it takes, I've had anywhere from three to five minutes. I, it, it's long enough that you go, man, this has kind of taken a while. But right. it's not long enough that it's not worth doing. Sure. Yeah, it sounds pretty nice. It sounds like a really neat little service. Yeah. And the thing is, is the URL is short enough, and it it puts like a... You know the, how the URL shorteners have like a, a hash at the end of their URL, and then it expands? This looks like a shortened URL. So it's great for, you know, posting into, you know, IRC without flooding a channel with a big, long string of crap. Or into you know a, a micro messaging service like Identica. You're talking about the URL that uh, of the video after it has been converted. Yeah, yeah. Because you can link right to it, and it's there for 48 hours. 48 hours. Okay, that's cool. Good find. Do you, Do you have the option to download it if you want to? Oh yeah. There's a you know as the you know it has to go through the entire conversion process, but. When you're watching it, there's a link underneath that says download video. Is there an option to then re-encode back to Flash and then repost to YouTube? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, there isn't. Darn. <laughs> but um, using it then. what it's what it's doing is running uh, FFmpeg to Theora in the background. Well, there's a new um, Theora encoder that is supposed to be like substantially better, but I don't know if it's faster, but I guess they know what they're doing. So Say, it's it's a young kid. I mean, if you if you think you can help him, <laughs> no, send him a message and let him know. <laughs> I mean, even if you you can save him, you know, thirty seconds of conversion. Yeah, really. I I, I, mean, I think he's gonna be pumped about it. Yeah, no, I mean I highly doubt it. What I might be able to conceivably figure out is parsing, you know, whatever other media site is out there as part, you know, going through what their typical way of calling that video is, you know. Yeah. Um, that I imagine that's probably why he hasn't added more sites than YouTube. It's probably simply a matter of looking through, looking at what happens when you say, okay, I want to watch this video, and, you know, figuring out where that little media file is that you need to feed it in order for it to be converted. But YouTube, obviously, is the, the big one, I guess. I mean, that's definitely yeah. the one that you... He says that all the other ones would be really, really easy to do. Yes. But I have absolutely zero programming skills, so I haven't well, looked I into it yet. Yeah, I think it's just literally, like, um, 
if you if you get HTTP Fox uh, plugin for Firefox, mm-hmm. you can you can basically look at the ingoing or incoming and, and outgoing. Um, I guess I, I guess it's like the type of traffic that you are seeing when you go to a site. So you can mm. go to like like YouTube or whatever or. I can't even, for the life of me, think of the other media sites right now. Well, Daily uh, Vimeo, Daily Motion. Vimeo, yeah. You know, you can go to there, and and you can possibly see, you know, a lot of the traffic and see what it's doing at that moment when you're saying, okay, play this video now. And and if you kind of parse that either in your mind or or whatever you have to do, you know, to plug into tinyog.com and then figure out where these videos, how how that little string is stored, then you can probably write a little, I guess, a plug-in. It would be for TinyOg, so that when you say, okay, I want to load a Vimeo, it knows where to look for that video, as opposed to how it's going to look for a video on YouTube or whatever. That's what, that's what I'm anticipating. I, I, I can't get TinyOg to load right now because I've been kicked offline by Comcast. Thank you, Comcast. Oh, yay. <laughs> we already have links going up in IRC from it. Oh, cool. That's a very nice find. Yeah, that's a good one. Nice, clean website, too. Oh, yeah, it's very, very nicely designed. I mean, you can just look at it and go, he's doing everything in his power to stay out of your way. And there's also a, uh, they're looking for someone to make them a, like, a logo. Richard Quirin. <laughs> Actually, I was going to send him a message and see what he thought he could do. That guy's got a knack for logos. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, this is a nice um, website, actually. Yeah, this is a really nice... Uh, this is cool. He's saying he's got to be between 13 and 18, and he couldn't be part of the new generation, so... <laughs> it's, it's interesting that there are people much younger and much smarter than I doing really cool stuff like this. I'm looking at his uh, CSS work on the website. I'm looking at the rounded corners. I might take a look at his code. <laughs> yeah. Those aren't. Those aren't. Are those CSS rounded corners? I don't know. I'm looking at the source code I'm to the page. It, I'm seeing it in Conqueror even. So a lot of times I don't see rounded corners in there. Then uh, another feature of Tiny August. There's a uh, a random button. If you click that, it'll just go to a random video. That that's a horrible feature. Why would you want to do that? I just got Rickrolled. Yeah. <laughs> no way! <laughs> I got the uh, a collision on Whale Wars. So if you're bored, and, you know, you're, you know, instead of going to YouTube and trying to find something to watch, just watch something random that someone put up. You might find something interesting. If you're bored, you should be writing a plugin so that you can have different sites go go through this thing. You shouldn't be clicking on random YouTube junk. So I'm actually interested in uh, getting this running on my own server and having it stay for longer than 48 hours. Hey, this is just a drop-dead simple way of getting all this to happen. Like, you could literally make a free YouTube in, like, 20 minutes <laughs> if you took the code for this. Yeah, I bet the whole 48-hour thing is because of bandwidth. This is probably going to eat a lot of it. Yeah, I can only imagine. Well, that and storage space. Well, that and his processor is converting it. Oh, yeah, that. And think about that. Oh, I see. The the random one just um, takes you to something that's already been... Oh, yeah. It's something that's already been that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Try and make that very clear. Yeah, I thought it would just, like, go out to YouTube and pull a random thing and then oh, and man, code it. It <laughs> <laughs> makes much more sense um, this way. I mean, if you're bored and you're looking for 
you know, free as in freedom content. I mean, Maybe, you know, under copyright or something, but... Right. Yeah, but the way that it was the stuff created. <laughs> yeah. Very nice, Fine 3.3. I'm going to... Well, I have a a command line application called Ink. Mm-hmm. It, have you guys ever used this? No, it doesn't. No. It's definitely there. Command line tool to check your ink levels in your printer. Oh, wow. It's, uh... Linux can print? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's uh, very easy to use. I mean, well, of course you got to install it. The, the web address is ink.sourceforge.net, and most likely it's going to be in your distro's uh, repository anyways. But as root, you just type in ink-p, and my printer's a USB, so I just type in USB, hit enter, and it tells me the, the percentage of, of all my cartridges. Like I have a black one, it's 56%, and... My color is zero right now because it's empty, of course. But uh, it works pretty good, and it, and it supports uh, well Linux and Open Solaris, and it supports all the major printers like Canon, Epson, and HP. And there's a huge list of all the printers it supports on the website. It's, That's quite nice. It says it works on network printers, too, so I haven't tried that. I have to give it a try, hook up the printer to uh, my BSD box, and see yeah. if I can connect to it from from my Debian box and get the ink levels. I don't know if it's possible, but I'm going to try it. I wonder how accurate it is, because my, my perception or, or, yeah, my perception of, like, printer ink stuff is just that they, I don't know, that they lie to you half the time about the ink levels. And, you know, it just seems really not easy to me at all. Now, I think this is pretty accurate, because I was using this, I want to say 2003, I was using this, and the Windows computer said it was empty with the oh, okay. HP software, and this showed that it had like 12%. All right. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. That's cool. But the, the cool this could actually save people a lot of money. I know. Would I you, might actually um, have to get a printer now. <laughs> you probably want to watch it, though. You, you don't want to keep printing if it's, I would say, like 1%, 2%, or even 3 just consider it empty. You don't want to actually like run it completely dry. Right. Probably uh, clog up the print head. Yeah, but, you know, if you needed to eke out just a couple of more pages, I don't know how many times you've been printing, you know, like a, a paper for school, and, you, you know, you're like 10, 11, oh, come on, it's only 12 pages, get the last one out. Yeah. And, guys, I think I've decided on Rockspiler for our thing. Or not Rockspiler, but Rock Desktop. Oh, yeah, that's supposed to be really nice. I think I tried that... I mean, I know I've tried parts of it. I don't remember if I tried the whole thing. I think that might have been someone's tick one one time on either Tit or Linux Crank. Someone was talking about that. I know that, uh, like, three-quarters of Kilts has been, you know, big rock spotter people for a long time. I think Link's one of them. You know, one of those people. Yeah. Well, Rock Spiler was one of those that was, I guess it was ported over to the evil OS that I used to use before I used Linux. And it was, it was therefore, pretty easy to install. So I, I, I did use that for a little while, and I, I remember liking it a lot. I think it's on Dynabolic as well. I think it's, it's the default, um, at least Rockspiler, I think is the default um, file manager in, in Dynabolic. So so Rocks is a complete desktop environment then? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Cool. And I found an RPM for it. The, the file manager is, is actually so popular that people don't know that there's a desktop. I never did. <laughs> I, I knew the, I knew of the file manager, 
And I, like I said, I think on either Cranks or Tit, someone mentioned the desktop. That was the first I'd heard of it. That's a kind of good problem to have, to have something so popular that people don't know about the other thing you do. Yeah, really. I, I, I wouldn't complain at all if that was, yeah. Well, let's get on with our commands of the week. It's just uh, all right. It's just you and I, uh, Klaatu. Okay. Nobody else did their homework. Yeah, figures. You want me to go first? Yeah, you go first. Mine's pretty involved. All right, well, the other day I got this book, HTML Dog, The Best Practice Guide to HTML and CSS. Take it to work with me, and then with the triple E, well, actually, the book has a lot of links in it, and a lot of times I can't get... Um, internet access on the triple e computer at work so what i did was i uh i don't know if we talked about wget before for somebody's command but no, you can actually download a whole entire website you know and put it into a file and you can view it later you know without being on the internet so i went to the um html dog website and downloaded the, the complete website i mean it's a it's a really long command i can just run through it real quick it's a uh, wget dash dash recursive then no clobber and then html extension convert links and then domains html dog which i guess that's uh that that just means don't follow any links outside of the of his website and then you just put the the name of the website in and it downloads the the complete website it took like 5 minutes so then i can view it at wow. any time offline I'll definitely have to put that in the show notes because that probably made no sense at all. That's a hard uh, one to it, explain. It, well, now isn't the um, is is the mirror uh, the the mirror switch? Doesn't that like grab a lot of those uh, switches and kind of put it all into one? You know, if you just do w get dash dash mirror, I think that like includes the recursive switch for sure. Does it? Yeah, um, I'm trying to think of what else it it includes. Yeah, if you can. If you have a shorter way of doing it without having to type all this in, that'd be great. Looking through the man page. Yeah, here's mirror. This option is suitable for mirroring. It turns on recursion and time stamping. I don't really know what that is. Sets infinite recursion depth and keeps FTP directory listings. Oh, so that that might go outside of the site then. So that might be a little bit dangerous. But like I said, the book has so many links in it that refers to his website. Yeah. So it was nice just just to have it on the hard drive now. How big was it? Do you remember? Like, was this a huge thing to download or? Well, it took like like five minutes. Let me no. see what what size it is. It, I think as long as sites don't have a whole bunch of multimedia on them and stuff, I think probably I would think they'd be pretty pretty manageable. Uh, and if you ran this with like a a cron job, you could have like a a constantly updated cached version of like. The Fedora Project Wiki, just ready to go at all times. Yeah, that's true. Well, here's a command for you. Now, how do I get the size of a directory? Everything that's inside of it. Uh, everything that's inside of a directory. Yeah, to get to like the size of the directory. What, what's the option for ls? Oh, L, like lh or yeah, lh. That would give you the the listing of of everything with human readable file size. Is there anything that would add up to total? Probably. Um, how about uh, disk usage uh, period? Wouldn't that do it? Yeah, it would. Uh, disk u du uh, period uh, dash no du dash dash h and then period. Yeah, that does that. 
or capital H if you want to round up or something like that. It was uh, 7.7 megabytes. How many? 7.7 megabytes. Oh, wow, that's funny. That's great. I love that. I mean, that's nothing. So it's about the size of a size of an ebook. That's not bad at all. Well, I got to remember that command. <laughs> du dash h period, and then I just grepped the uh, folder. That worked. I, I I was doing that like like because I was in the folder. Nope, I did that in my home directory. Oh, Cobra two says that you can also just do an ls space dash sh and then pipe that to grep and grep the word total. That seems to do it. I guess because S is sorting it, and I guess S must give you a total, which I did not realize. Well, let me let me try that one. You didn't do the H, but I like human readable stuff. I can't calculate bytes. This isn't telling me nothing. Oh yeah, again, I'm sorry. I'm assuming that you're in the directory that you want to calculate. I guess it's just telling me the total. Let me let me go into the directory. Oh it's yeah, good. you're right. Actually, I think he's wrong. Well, there's an easier way to go about this. Uh, if you do du-hs, human readable, and summarize, and then the directory, it will give you the total. Yeah, that's what that's what I did. Okay. Just like what we did before, right? Yeah. Except instead of just saying period, he said the directory, which is probably what I should have said, to be clear. No, but if you if you do the summarize, the s, oh, it will actually give you the, the total. Uh, yeah. You don't have to grep for anything. Well, no, I didn't grep for anything either. It gives you even without no, the well, he grepped for it. Oh, <laughs> sure. Sorry. Well, the output's the same. I don't I don't think... Okay, here it is in IRC. No, that's not the same what I'm using. I didn't put use DS. Right, the, the summarize option. Perfect. That's going in the show notes. That's a good one. That is a good one. See, Jay Lindsay did have a command after all. <laughs> Should I put that your name by that command in the show show notes? <laughs> sure. <laughs> I don't want Claude two to get credit for it. <laughs> no, because I didn't do the S, so I lose. And Cobra twos was way too long. L S dash S pipe grep total. My goodness. <laughs> well, oh, Jay Rulo had D U dash S. Well, the one Cobra said just gave me the total of the the total of the um, folders and files. Yeah, well, I mean, again, it kind of depends on where you are. Like, if you're just out in your home directory... It doesn't no matter where. Even if you're inside, it just tells you how many items are in the folder. Isn't that what it does? I I, I see. I'm not... Yeah, you're right, I think. I'm not quite getting the... Yeah, the ls-h-s does not work. Grep total does not work. It's giving me a different number than du. So I, I trust du. Like, my documents folder is, like, 483 megabytes. Jeez, what do I have in there? Um, uh, with DU, and then when I do an LS on that, it, it gives me, like, 215 megabytes. So I don't really understand. Well, the size option for LS is actually specified in blocks. Ah, uh, okay. So the number will be way off, probably. Okay, okay. I never knew that. I didn't know they were specifying it in blocks. Just think, when this is posted on HPR, somebody's going to listen to this and say, wow, <laughs> these guys are amazing. These guys have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> they just blew my mind with that with that command. Uh, you want your mind to truly be blown? Go ahead and yeah. try. Yeah. Sigflip emailed us and gave me this command of the week. I was going to try to play it off like it was mine, but really no hope because no one would believe it. So um, 
it's basically using a for loop uh, in order to download sequential things from a website. Um, you could obviously do this with other, I mean, obviously a for loop, you can do lots of stuff with it. I wouldn't know how, but, but here's how you can use it um, to download sequential files, for instance. So, Cobra 2 told me uh, last night that I should listen to some of the old uh, t uh, twat episodes, the This Week with the Tech uh, episodes, and there's a lot of those, actually, you know, of course. It's an old show, and they had like 100 episodes or something, um, or probably more. So if I wanted to download like the first, I don't know, 10, you know, to listen to tomorrow, I could do for, that's the word F-O-R, um, space S-F, space N, I-N, and then 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, all space delimited, semicolon, do, wget, http, colon, slash, slash, www.twatech.org, slash, ep, slash, twat, zero, zero, dollar sign ff dot mp3 semicolon done and what that does is it's going to say okay so for ff and then that ff variable kind of becomes one two three four five six seven eight ten and then it replaces that ff in the do the w get it replaces the, the dollar ff at the end of twat zero zero with whatever number you've you've specified in the for loop and i guess the the at the point of the 10, it would actually break down. I would have to start a different loop for that, because I have an extra zero in there. But but certainly for the first nine, I could do all that with one for loop uh, command. And um, that's it. That's how you do for loops in Bash. Are you going to put that in IRC? Yeah. These, these guys are going crazy in the IRC, wanting you to post it. Yeah, I'm going to let them beg for it a little bit longer, then I'll finally paste it in. And they think they just can't hold out anymore. That's a pretty complex uh, command. You know, it really is. Oh, once you write a couple of for loops, they're all pretty much the same. Yeah, it took me a, it took me a couple of emails back and forth with Zigflop to understand what she was trying to tell me. Um, but yeah, once once I realized that it was the FF, and I guess that I mean that could be anything. I, I don't know what made her choose FF. It really should just be foobar for foobar in one two three four five six seven eight semicolon do w get url slash twat zero zero dollar sign foobar dot mp3 semicolon done so yeah yeah and jay rulo's pointing out that bash potter um has really good for loop examples and i agree bash potter and and what i'm using right now mash potter i mean just if you want to see bash scripting done really well but in a way that you can kind of almost understand it <laughs> look at those because you kind of like you know what's happening you just need to see it written out in a script and then you kind of figure it out and, and you need to type done at the end that's that's part of it I've never tried it without the done yeah you, so. you do need that okay uh oh Jesse James has a shortcut yeah I guess you can just do it as like a squiggly bracket whatever those things are called one dot dot eight closed squiggly bracket yeah, there's there's a lot of ways to get the sequence of numbers in there. You can you can also uh, put commands in there, so you you can get the uh, results of ls start up whatever evaluated into the expression. So wow. for each file that matches this in this directory, do this to the file. Wow, that would be pretty cool. Great commands. I think the best so far, the best yet. Yeah, they just keep getting better. It really helps that someone. You know, like a programmer wrote in <laughs> and 
provided a command of the week. I can only give so many um, interesting switches for like, you know, LS or DF and call it a command of the week. Yeah, it's like my, my wget command. It looked really simple on paper. Then once I start reading off all these options, yeah, it's just like, what am I talking about? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, should we end the show with a few phone calls? We could try that, yeah. We'll, we'll give it a go. All right. If they're awake. They might all be busy debating for loops and do while. Yeah, they, they've been on hold for a while, so they might be sleeping. It's not Gorkon. I don't want this. Sh- I don't. I don't want to hear them. First caller. Cobra. How's it going? Hey, how's it going? Hey, Cobra 2, you're not asleep. No, I'm not. Sounds like you're up north. I am. Your voice is changing. All right. You sound like a northerner. Yeah, you kind of sound like New Yorkish or something. Or like Vermont. A, like a Yankee. Yeah. Oh, well. Yeah. So you having fun up there? Not really. It's freezing cold outside. I'm sitting in the house, and it's about 55 degrees inside, and I think that's warm. <laughs> what are you doing? Are you renting? Uh, no, actually, I'm staying for free at a house for sale. <laughs> um, exactly how are you doing that? Uh, three very good friends. Oh, okay. I thought you just broke in. I thought it was just <laughs> squatting or something, yeah. No, that'd be nice, but uh, slightly illegal. Yeah, plus you wouldn't have, like, power and stuff, probably. No, probably not. Is there internet? Uh, pretty good internet, actually. I've got my, uh, I don't know if you saw my setup up at the Ohio Linux stuff, but I'm pretty much doing the same thing and pulling about one megabyte a second down and about 500 kbs up. Are you using it now to call in, or are you on your cell phone? Uh, I'm on my cell phone, on Silk. Oh, nice. Yeah. But do not name uh, the platform. Do not name the platform that you're using. This is a not no, named, yeah, no mention. Not naming the, the platform, but I'm I'm going to say that uh, I am over the, the data connection of the cell phone, not a wireless connection. Oh, what the heck? Cool. What kind of phone do you have? Oh, here it goes. <laughs> I got the, the the new Motorola on Verizon. Is it an Android? <laughs> uh-huh. Uh huh. No, how is it? Uh, do you like it? Uh, I love it. The only thing keeping me from an Android phone is the the the, the cost of the uh, data plans. They're like eighty bucks a month. Um, you can you can get discounts pretty easy. It, it doesn't really amount to much. Like through uh, through my college, I've got a twenty percent discount off of data plans and voice plans. So it cuts it down a little, but not much. I was gonna say I've seen all your screenshot Unix porn. Can you actually install like anything on that? Or is there certain certain special Android apps? Uh, it's it's basically Java built on top of uh, some C libraries. So everything on the application layer, which is like everything you would use, the user interface and everything is Java. So uh, you just have to do everything. All your coding and any application you have to do has to be through Java. Oh, okay. So like I couldn't I couldn't download the source code to, I don't know, Roxfiler, for instance, and compile it and install it, correct? Uh, as far as I understand, yeah, that's correct. Okay. No. It's still kind I, of I'm interesting, kinda, though. Well, I've kind of hacked around a little bit, and I, I actually do have uh, IF config and some other things that 
we're not on the phone on the phone now. Okay. But I'm doing that through uh, BusyBox. Right. Yeah, I imagine the the command line apps. I would I would imagine you could probably manage to get in there. Yeah, I'm I'm working on getting air track on it right now because well, that'll just be fun. Yeah. It'd be useless to me because the uh, the wireless card on the phone does not have monitor mode, which sucks. No. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but what in in terms of um, compiling stuff on the phone, like do you have to download? Are there like development libraries that you can download pretty easily for it, or do you have to go? Like, do you get the SDK for Android or something? Or, I mean, how is that done? Uh, what do you mean, like, compiling on the phone? Like, actually oh, you don't compile on code. the phone. You, do you, or you cross-compile on your computer and then put it over on your phone. Uh, you would compile it on your computer and then put it on the phone. Oh, uh, okay. And, and you do that with the um, with the SDK? Or you just say, uh, compile this for the ARM processor or whatever chip it is, or Motorola. Uh, you'd, get, you'd get the SDK. Okay. Oh, I think we're kind of talking about two different things here. Like the SDK is just for the application layer itself, like everything oh. else. Yeah, no. Uh, I mean, I let's say you want to get if config, I have config okay. on, on the phone. You've got the source code on your laptop, so you just invoke GCC and compile it, but you say you tell GCC that you want to build it for ARM or, or whatever processor your phone has in it. Is that yeah, what it? I had to do, yeah. what I had to do is I had to build it for ARM and put it on the phone, but I have to invoke a another script to actually run it inside the phone. Oh, interesting. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's a little screwy, and okay. I've messed up a lot. <laughs> okay. Wow. Well, it it is interesting because um, I, I don't know. I've, I mean, it seems like you we we kind of saw Java as the GUI layer in a lot of, like, demonstrations and stuff, but I never really saw one that was actually, you know, the user space on top of an an operating system. But now I guess we see it. I mean, it's, this is what it is. You know, it's like Java actually being your entire user interface. Yeah, a lot of cell phones are actually Java layers running on top of something else. Yeah, it, it is a, it's a Java layer that runs on top of a bunch of C libraries, which is an actual Linux operating system. But it, it is like you're saying. It is the entire user interface. Yeah, interesting concept. Like cloud computing, for the most part. When you think about it, I mean, you have a a server that runs something. You've got a little interface into it, and all the applications can run pretty much on any machine because you're all linked into a virtual machine. Anything I said just made sense. Yay. Yeah, I, that's beyond me right now, but. I think I see what you're saying. What's the name of that new phone that Google just came out with? Nexus One. No, okay, because I have T-Mobile, and they say I can get it for $180. But if I didn't get the data plan with that, would that be pretty much like an N800? I mean, I could probably do all the same things on it, right? Yeah. Because that would be a heck of a lot cheaper. I mean, uh, you really think you'd be able to not, I mean, live without a data plan, though? I mean, what well, has Wi-Fi. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Okay. The only catch would be is if T-Mobile is actually requiring you to get the data plan itself. Right. That's probably part of the we phone. Have the phone network. Yeah. Like with Verizon, it's like, hey, we'll sell you this phone for pretty cheap and give you a nice big rebate, and uh, we're going to require that you have a data plan as long as you're on our network. But they're saying 
seventy nine ninety five for if I sign you know sign a contract for two years, and I can get the phone for one hundred eighty dollars. That's what it is. Well, honestly, it's a pretty deal compared to what It's a little bit cheaper. But the uh, the thing that sways me away from the Nexus is that it doesn't have a physical keyboard. That would be kind of buggy. Yeah, I'm kind of tired of devices without a physical keyboard lately. I just don't, I don't think that the touch keyboards are just are really where they need to be. Or maybe they'll never be where they need to be. I just, I like the physical keyboard. You set your own T-Mobile, right? Yeah. You might want to look at sticking uh, around for a Motorola mouse phone, the, uh, the GSM version of the Droid. And I could just probably put my SIM card in it. And you'd be able to use, even if you got the, uh, the European version, you'd still be able to get onto uh, 3G if you wanted it. Probably going to wait to about June or July and maybe look into one. That's when my... When I can get a, a, a new phone for free, I think that's where my time is where I can get a new phone. So maybe I can get something like this, you know, at a discounted price. Well, let's let's take some more callers. Well, Art hung up on us. I don't know who this one is. Hello, mystery caller. Bye. Yeah, the mystery caller hung up. How about this mystery caller? Yeah, it's not that big a mystery. <laughs> <laughs> You're like a stalker. I know. Well, I got a reprieve. You didn't have to uh, babysit after all. No, I had uh, my laptop uh, or my netbook all unplugged. I was headed out the door when my son and daughter-in-law got home, so uh, I just let them relieve Granny. Well, at this time, they'll be sleeping. That'd be an easy job, wouldn't it? Yeah, that wasn't the problem. It was just that it turned out to be the wrong night. Podcasting night. Don't go by the barn. Right. My uh, call quality. Sometimes really good, and then sometimes there's like a weird noise. Yeah, it's a little bit variable uh, this time. Yeah. Weird. Yeah, sometimes it sounds like you're like downloading, you know, a lot of stuff on your on the network or something. Or you know what I mean? I mean, like like something's eating your bandwidth. Uh, the place where I'm sitting at, I'm sitting right in between two towers, so it's probably fighting for one tower and the other. Oh, you're not... You're on, Oh, that's right. You're on SIP via the data plan of the cell phone. Yeah. Not, not that's, <laughs> right. Well, that's interesting. That's pretty cool. That's why I called in. I could. <laughs> and and does anyone... I mean, like, does uh, T-Mobile or whoever you said you were on, do they know that you're doing that? I mean, that they're okay with making SIP calls via data plan, or they don't really know that? Uh, I'm on Verizon. And the sales rep that I was talking with when I bought the phone, he I told him my intentions to make SIP calls over the data plan, and he's like, not really blocked, man, so have at it. Wow, nice. I mean, like, you can go into your SIP client settings and change the ports around to whatever you want to, right? Okay. Uh, so if I change to, like, 5061 for my port for my SIP client, uh, it won't register. Uh, not real sure why, because I don't have any tools to check and see what's going on. All right. Uh, but 5060 registers just fine, so I'm assuming that they're cool with it. Yeah, I mean, if they weren't cool with it, I'm sure they would have had the foresight to somehow disable it from being done. So. Uh, one thing that I can't do, I do have FSH, uh, Drop Bear installed, which is uh, SSH server, and... Uh, I can't SSH from the 
from the data plan into my phone. I can only do that on the local network. Oh, that's interesting. But I can understand why that is, because, I mean, if you could SSH into your phone, you could be vulnerable to all sorts of little hacks and whatnot. But only if you leave it on, right? Well, it's your phone. My phone stays on 24-7. That's more out of habit. Are you ever going to um, SSH into your phone? I mean, don't you not really need an SSH server? You only need... I mean, I'm, I'm trying to say that it would, wouldn't a hack into your phone via SSH require that you're running an SSH daemon allowing incoming connections? I am running an SSH daemon. Allowing incoming connections via SSH? Oh, allowing incoming connections via SSH. But why? You're not going to SSH in, into your phone, are you? You're going to SSH into your remote box via your phone going out. Oh, but of course, you need to you need to get the data back. Well, um... I find it easy to easier to SSH in and like SCP music, uh, asterisk cast. Oh, okay. It's whatever stuff on on your phone. Stuff like that, and also the you can you can't really access the shell in like a, a native in a native way. Like yeah. when you're doing it from from the USB, you always have to preface everything with like ADT, which is the development terminal, and that gets annoying really fast. Oh, yeah, wow. So it's more of just an ease-of-use thing for me. Talk about something else. How can we talk about anything other than Android? Once you mention it, you're you're bound to talk about it forever. The show is now Tit Radio Android Hour. I'm starting to hate right about now. Getting Trident desktop. Getting rocks installed is a pain. Oh, is it? Yeah. Even, I mean, aren't there, isn't there a package or something for it? No, there's not. Oh. <laughs> and it's not in uh, the repos at all. Nope. And it doesn't have just regular install either. Just go work around a bunch of BS. I'll get it, though. I would have kind of expected it to be in the repository, but I guess not. It's not in Debian either. It's uh, just the uh, file manager. Just, just the file, yeah. Oh, wow. And okay. Rock's term. Yeah, I got Rock's term. Well, anything else, guys, before I uh, end this show? Nope, I'm good. Let's see what kind of magical song Terry F. has for us tonight. Oh, that'll be interesting. Hopefully it's better than Dan's last pick for Phil. Uh, it's like, is Dan even trying? He's trying to get somebody to kill himself and what he's doing. <laughs> well, I think our, our song's going to be good. If it's not, somebody uh, send Terry F. an email and let him know. Or you can just PM on IRC. Yeah. So I will see you guys in a couple weeks. Yep. See you guys later. Later on. Good night. Good night, y'all. Good night. Good night. Hey, this is Terry from the Juice Penguin Kaplan off another Chit Radio. Uh, Tonight's song will be off the Jamando site. It's by Bert Jared. A song called Broke Down. Um, this song sounds a lot like Sammy Hagar. I don't know if you're a Sammy Hagar fan or not, but I am. Um, if you are, you'll like it. If you're not, you won't. Have fun. Take a lesson from the past When everything is moving fast There's nothing worse than falling in When everywhere is where you've been Just try to leave
Thank you for listening to Hacker Public Radio. HPR is sponsored by caro.net, so head on over to caro.net for all your hosting needs.